From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's open line. Father Wade Menezes is hes in a castle is where he is, and he's ready to answer your phone calls. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Grab one of these open phone lines and uh, join us for EWTN's open line. Um. If you're outside the United States and Canada, you still have access to the castle. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email, openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is... Matt Gubensky and our social media maven is Mr. Jeff Burson. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the hour. And our host is he is every Tuesday from the Castle San Miguel on the grounds of the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Hansville, Alabama. What looks like the freshly shorn Father Wade Menezes. Yes, you are right. Got my hair cut yesterday. You must be happy about that because you're, you're very good you, you about... You're getting a little shaggy. I'll, I'll yes, be you, you let me know when I'm getting a little shaggy, so uh, you must be proud with today's cut. So, <laughs> But yes, I am here at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament here at our Lady of the Angels Monastery where Mother Angelica's Poor Claire Nuns of Perpetual Adoration are. This is where I was first stationed when I was ordained in 2000. I was here till 2003, those first three years of my priesthood as the chaplain in residence to serve the many pilgrims that visit the shrine, and I am here in what's called the Grand Hall of the Castle San Miguel, which houses the gift shop of El Nino there. I'm pointing with my thumb. There's the entrance to the gift shop of El Nino, and then on the other side over here are the different meeting rooms for uh, different size groups. If, if, a, if a group comes here for a series of talks or whatever, we have a, the larger St. Gabriel Hall and then a smaller hall here as well. So just a, a wonderful a shrine to visit. Uh, our Listeners, Jack, can go to olamshrine.com and visit their website, olamshrine.com, and visit the website. Everything you need to know about the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament and Our Lady of the Angels Monastery. Both of them are located on this one beautiful peninsula uh, surrounded by the Warrior River here in central north Alabama, about 45 to 50 minutes north of EWTN in Irondale, Alabama. Uh, both the shrine and the monastery are located here on this beautiful 320-plus acre peninsula, and uh, it's just a wonderful time to visit the shrine during these summer months. A little hot, but it's worth it uh, to see the beautiful shrine, the upper church, the lower church, the John Paul II Eucharistic Center, the, the El Nino gift shop, and whatnot. So be sure to check it out. In fact, I want our callers, Jack, today, if they have been to the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament here at Our Lady of the Angels Monastery, if they could call and give a witness of how the shrine fed their faith. 
that's one of the things I'd like uh, our callers to do today. And secondly, I'd like to talk about the upcoming solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus here coming up this Friday, the 24th. You know, it's a very, very important solemnity on the Church's universal calendar and also dear to the Fathers of Mercy. Our founder, Jean-Baptiste Rosan, wrote his doctoral dissertation on the most sacred heart. Think about it. In his sacred incarnation, God becoming man, his second divine personage taking on a full human nature, just like ours in every way but sin, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ had a real, viable, pumping, bloody human heart, huh? For the 33 years that he walked the earth, sacred sacred scripture and tradition tell us. Um, Our God is therefore a revealed God, huh? He's revealed himself, uh, incarnate, in the flesh, huh? Uh, St. Athanasius says, God became man so that man may become like God. In other words, the, the creator became a creature, huh? This is like saying the architect became the blueprint or the potter became the cup. And, and our human minds can't even wrap uh, themselves around such imagery. And yet we can say that the creator, God in his second divine personage, became a creature. Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, Almighty God made us in his own image and likeness so that one day he might assume our own image and likeness. And that's a beautiful, beautiful quote there. Poetically speaking, Jack, of course, the human heart is a profound symbol of such things as mercy, love, faithfulness, steadfastness, commitment. How about passion? Passio in the Latin. That is a love that is willing to suffer for the other. Loyalty diligence. And also the human heart is seen as the anchor, the foundation, if you will, of a balanced emotional life involving the the feelings or the emotions. Uh, The most sacred heart of Jesus, this great solemnity, assures us that God has eliminated all distance between us and him, loving us from within our own human nature, which he himself also took on. This great solemnity of the sacred heart of Jesus is coming Friday means that a divine person loves us with a perfect human heart. So he helps us train our own human hearts, right? Consequently, our own wounded human hearts are consoled and perfected by his most sacred heart. We have only to unite our hearts to Christ's to receive all that it contains. The solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus reveals then the merciful love of our Savior, banishing all fear, all shame, and all discouragement from our own hearts. The heart of Jesus continues to beat for us in heaven, pouring out its infinite merits upon us through the sacraments of Holy Mother Church. Devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus remains one of the church's greatest treasures and one of our greatest consolations on our pilgrimage way, our pilgrim way. Our Lord promised St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, the French seer who beheld the Sacred Heart visions, that, quote, sinners shall find in my heart the source and the infinite ocean of mercy, and those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, never to be blotted out. And when we come back from break, I want to comb through all uh, the promises of the Sacred Heart of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary. So our prayer today in preparation for this Friday and every day leading up to Friday and even beyond one of the great aspiration prayers of the church, quote, O most sacred heart of Jesus, 
have mercy on us. And the most sacred heart of Jesus then, Jack, is a profound symbol of the core belief of Christianity, right? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made man, loves each of us immeasurably and without exception. Although pierced terribly by our sins, the sacred heart of our Lord overflows with compassion and love for all of mankind, even when that love is not readily reciprocated back to him. Therefore, the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus is one of the most important devotions among Catholics. It became popular following the apparitions of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, fully approved by the church, a Catholic nun from France, between the years of 1673 and 1675. During his visits to her, Jesus promised, quote, again, to all who receive Holy Communion on the first Fridays of nine consecutive months, I will grant the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in my disgrace, nor without receiving their sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safeguard and their safe refuge in this last moment. And again, those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, never to be blotted out. The church dedicates, Jack, the entire month of June to the most sacred heart of Jesus, remembering always that we were loved first by God Catholics strive to venerate and imitate the most generous and sacred heart of Jesus, our Lord. And soon after this great feast, this coming Friday, which always is the Friday after Corpus Christi, uh, the solemnity of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so we want to foster a strong devotion to these two hearts. But I want to invite our callers today, Jack, while I'm here uh, broadcasting live from the Grand Hall of the Castle San Miguel, as you stated earlier, call us and give us your witness about your visit to the Most Blessed Sacrament here in Hansville, Alabama, Our Lady of the Angels Monastery, and also about how the Sacred Heart devotion is important to you. Maybe you came back to the church because of the Sacred Heart devotion. Maybe you've never left the church. Maybe you've always had a strong devotion to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. Maybe it's a part of your national heritage like it is with us Portuguese. We have a very strong devotion to the Sacred Heart. In fact, we can take saints for our confirmation patrons, and my father, God rest his soul. My father, Louis Menezes, took the most sacred heart of Jesus as his baptismal godfather. How about that, huh? And then uh, a great aunt of his was the godmother. Um, so, so maybe the sacred heart of Jesus has always been strong in your, in your life. Call us and give us a witness about that fact, and call us as well. If you have visited the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament, home of Our Lady of the Angels Monastery, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's one 833 288 3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, EWTN's religious catalog has several books by Anthony DiStefano. We're featuring today, How the Angels Got Their Wings. It's a short but comprehensive introduction to the story of the angels, pure spiritual beings of extraordinary power made by God to assist him in carrying out his will. This book uh, introduces children to the famous archangels, 
that are uh, cited in sacred scripture, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, as well as Satan, the ringleader of the demons and fallen angels who chose to rebel against God. It also introduces children to those special angels who are here with us right now, helping to protect and guide us, our guardian angels. Once children read this beautifully illustrated story, they will forever be comforted in the knowledge that they are not alone in life. Not only do they have God, Our Lady, and the other saints in heaven to help them, but they also have these marvelous spiritual creatures known as angels, whom they can call on for divine assistance at any time. It's available right now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use code FREE at checkout. How the Angels Got Their Wings by our good friend Anthony DiStefano. Available at EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. You know, as I look over your right shoulder there, I think I can see my wife's footprints ingrained in the tile of the floor of <laughs> you know i think john entering, entering love. the gift shop <laughs> she's you know i know she's been here before oh, but i just think she would like to visit more often to be quite honest <laughs> with you <laughs> so speaking of uh, of new things we've got some new people at the shrine of the most blessed sacrament that's right we have bill brown and his wife cindy bill has recently been hired as the shrine administrator to oversee all aspects of the shrine from the gift shop itself to the beautiful ground to the buildings, upkeep, and so forth, uh, human resources. He oversees it all, and, and he's very thankful for his different department heads <laughs> who help him oversee each individual department. So we've got a great team here, but a special shout-out to Bill Brown, the new Shrine Administrator, and his wife, Cindy. And I believe they have moved in from North Carolina, so they're now here making their home in, in Alabama, and, and we welcome them, and we wish Bill the the best of divine providence and, and God's graces on his new position and on his wife, Cindy, as well. I said before the break, Jack, I'd like to comb through just, just somewhat quickly here the, the beautiful 12 promises that our Lord made to St. Margaret Mary because they're, they're, they just rest on their own merit. Huh? There's really no need to, to explain each one individually. But it's nice to be reminded of these, uh, these 12 promises that our Lord made to, to St. Margaret Mary, especially when we think about our fallen away Catholic relatives and friends. Listen to this. Um, Our Lord tells St. Margaret Mary, I will grant them all the graces necessary for their state in life, meaning those who help promote the devotion. Number two, I will grant peace in their families. Number three, I will console them in all their troubles. Number four, they shall find in my sacred heart an assured refuge during life and especially at the hour of death. Number five, I will pour abundant blessings upon all of their undertakings. Number six, sinners shall find in my heart the source and infinite ocean of mercy. Number seven, tepid souls who promote this devotion shall become fervent. Number eight, fervent souls who practice this devotion shall speedily rise to even greater perfection. Number nine, I will bless the homes in which the image of my sacred heart shall be exposed and honored. I remember a calendar plaque 
on the wall near our back door uh, on the dairy farm that I grew up on. And I grew up seeing that quote daily upon her in the house. And I'm sure it had something to do with planting a seed for my priesthood. But I will bless the homes in which the image of my sacred heart shall be exposed and honored. Number 10, I will give to priests the power to touch the most hardened of hearts. Number 11, to those who help propagate this devotion shall have their name written in my heart never to be erased. And number 12, the all-powerful love of my heart will grant to all those who shall receive Holy Communion on the first Friday of nine consecutive months the grace of final repentance. They shall not die under my displeasure nor without receiving their sacraments. That's in reference to the last rites. My heart shall be their assured refuge at that last hour before their death. And just a a quick going through the requirements for the nine First Friday devotions, since that's how the 12 promises end, is talking about the, the nine First Friday devotion. Number one, we are to receive Holy Communion on each First Friday of nine consecutive months. In other words, to go to Mass and receive Holy Communion with the intention of honoring Christ's sacred heart. And if one is not in a state of grace and thus unable to receive Holy Communion, you will, of course, need to go to confession first. That's for mortal sin. Number two, the nine First Fridays, I've already said, must be consecutive. They cannot be broken. And number three, the nine First Fridays must be made in honor of and in reparation to our Lord's most sacred heart. So this is a fully approved devotion of Holy Mother Church, um, the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus, and the, the, the day itself in honor of the sacred heart is the highest level of liturgical celebration. It is a solemnity in the church. So there you have it, Jack, the 12 uh, promises made by our Lord to St. Margaret Mary, uh, who died in 1690 and forms the nine first Friday devotion that is approved by Holy Mother Church. To the phones we go. First up is Darren, a first-time caller in western New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Darren, tell us about your visit to the Shrine. Yeah, it's just wonderful. I made a, a trip, a pilgrimage, if you would, the first time 2005, and try to get there about maybe every 18 months or two years or so, given the schedule. But uh, mm-hmm. what a wonderful place of prayer and reverence. Oh, and beautiful. And how it truly, truly lifts your heart and mind to God. Just from the from the statues, and then at the bottom of the stairs before in the crypt chapel, the uh, the photo of the uh, shroud of Turin, if you will, and that crypt right. chapel, how wonderful! So it's a little more personal because it's smaller and the ceilings low and so forth. And then of course to attend mass there with the reverence of the of the fathers of the missionaries, the eternal word, just a, a wonderful experience, and it lets you kind of put aside sometimes the difficulties or distractions at your local parish or your diocese and so forth, and really focus on, you know, the Mass and the readings, of course, and that uh, such a prayerful experience. Yeah, amen, Darren. uh, You said something that that I kind of agree with you quite strongly on, that the Crypt Church, the lower Crypt Church, where the Shroud of Turin images are in the foyer of before you enter the actual Crypt Church, that Crypt Church has always been very, very, very special to me. It's a a lovely place to make a a private holy hour. There's something very special about the Crypt Church. I I love the Upper Church, too, don't get me wrong, where the Blessed Sacrament is exposed throughout the day, but there's something very special. Of course, Mother Angelica's tomb is down in the lower Crypt Church. For those of you watching 
watching live okay. right now on our YouTube feed at EWTN's YouTube page or EWTN Radio's Facebook page. Um, I'm holding up a, a brochure, a watercolor brochure of the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament that depicts a portion of the beautiful piazza that leads right up to the main entrance of the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament, um, the, which we call the Temple, the Upper Church, and the Crypt Church is below that. And of course, uh, Darren, as you know, there's the beautiful Nativity Cave that is open all yeah. year round that has the life-size figurines of the Nativity of our Lord on that Christmas morning. There's also the uh, John Paul II Eucharistic Center, which has uh, tours with pre-signups made available daily, um, except for Sunday and Monday, of course. Um, when the shrine is closed in in regards to its buildings, uh, but you can still visit the the upper church and lower church on a Sunday and a Monday, of course. Um, And also uh, the two churches we've talked about. There's also the the Lourdes Grotto, uh, which is behind the John Paul II Eucharistic Center. Uh, Just a beautiful place of pilgrimage. And uh, get your walk in at the same time. Get your 10,000 steps in, 10,000 steps for the day in while you go and visit these different aspects of the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. So, Darren, you said you try to come every 18 months or so. Yes, yes, and the, the the John Paul II Eucharistic Center is wonderful. The the catechesis uh, there is is just fantastic. The depth yeah. from kind of A to Z, if you will, um, right. about you know the Eucharist and, and Saint John Paul II and all the the saints and so forth, and the interactive and the uh, the like the uh, the live displays, if you would, the uh, are so much to see. Bring it you know more to life and the history and the timelines and so forth that are there. It's right. It is wonderful. It's fantastic. And remember, too, if you're bringing a group, let's say there's a group from a parish in New York, where you're calling from, Darren, in western New York, let's say there's a parish there in your area that wants to bring two busloads of pilgrims, all parishioners from your parish in western New York, contact the pilgrimage department by simply going to the main shrine website, olamshrine.com. Again, olamshrine.com. If you're coming as a private party pilgrim, just maybe you and your spouse, or, or you and your spouse and your children, or maybe you're coming by yourself. Uh, be sure to look at the accommodations link at that website, olamshrine.com. Many of the different Catholic families in the area uh, off the shrine property have built beautiful, lovely guest houses that are named after different saints. So there's like St. Benedict's Cabin and so forth, where uh, instead of staying at a, at a main conglomerate um, uh, hotel or motel chain, uh, you may, if, if your party is small enough, want to stay in one of these family guest houses, uh, kind of like a, a Catholic uh, Airbnb, if you will, <laughs> with the house named after a saint. Um, so that's something you might want to think about. Of course, larger groups would not be able to be accommodated in the in the smaller guest houses, but um, that is something you might want to think about. But but contact uh, olamshrine.com and, and go to the pilgrimage uh, link there and, and check it all out. Uh, and remember, too, that we have have two beautiful halls if your priest wants to give you a talk or if you want a talk given to you by uh, one of the Franciscan friars. We have the St. Michael Hall uh, that seats maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe 75 people. And then we have the the beautiful, lovely St. Gabriel Hall that seats close to 300. Um, So there you have it. There's different accommodations here at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. And there's different things to see in the area as well. Um, there's the, the Benedictine Abbey in Coleman, Alabama, about 15, 16 miles away, home to Ave Maria Grotto with all the miniature churches. That's very beautiful to see. And of course, EWTN is just about 45 minutes south 
uh, from here in Hansville in Irondale, Alabama. Maybe plan with your pilgrimage group to take in a live show. Maybe Father Mitch Pock was uh, EWTN Live. Uh, if they're filming live that week in the evening, you can schedule your group to go there then So and get tickets to be on the live show. Maybe, uh, maybe your group uh, wants to attend at home with Jim and Joy. Uh, maybe we can fit you in there. So uh, all, all things pilgrimage for both the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament here at Our Lady of the Angels Monastery in Hansville, Alabama, as well as uh, EWTN Studios in Irondale, Alabama. But begin by going to olamshrine.com, which has its own links at that website for EWTN proper. So uh, thank you, Darren, for a great witness call on how the Shrine has uh, uh, influenced you, and so much so that you try to come back every, every year and a half so that's great it's ewtn's open line tuesday with the director of pilgrimage from the shrine of the most blessed sacrament father wade menezes if you'd like to be on the program the number is 833-288-ewtn it's open line tuesday with father wade This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Give us a call with any of your questions for Father Wade. We especially want to hear about your experiences at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. 833-288-3986. You know, you rolled through a lot of the uh, the attractions at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament, one that you didn't mention that is my personal favorite, that quite frankly I think that every non-Catholic Christian should be forced to walk through prayerfully the way of the Eucharist and see if they still oh, yes. want to be non-Catholic. Yes, the 12 stations of the Most Holy Eucharist, which I combed through last week, the six Old Testament and the six New Testament, and they are depicted in beautiful, beautiful art um, in, the, in the walk of the 12 stations of the Most Holy Eucharist. So you're absolutely correct, Jack, and, and the garden this, this time of year is beautiful. I mean, there are so many different varietal lilies out there just having uh, finished Easter and, and the Easter season, you know, tis the season for lilies, right? And uh, it's, they're, they're just magnificent out there uh, in, the, in the, the, the walk of the 12 stations of the Most Holy Eucharist. You know, as Catholics, we're, we're aware, very aware of our churches inside and even outside walks for the 14 stations of the cross. But don't forget the 12 stations of the Most Holy Eucharist, which features the six Old Testament foreshadowings or types or symbols, the Latin typus, types or symbols or foreshadowings of the Eucharist that was to come by our Lord and be instituted in the upper room on the night of the arrest, and six New Testament ones, one of them being the institution of the Holy Eucharist, uh, the fifth and final luminous mystery of the rosary. But there's other New Testament ones too, like the multiplication of the loaves. It's the only miracle that appears in all four gods. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Uh, the road to Emmaus, where the two disciples recognized our Lord, quote, in the breaking of the bread, right? Uh, the house the of fact bread. that Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem, the fact that he was born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. So uh, these six Old Testament and six New Testament uh, hearkenings to the most holy Eucharist and the Eucharistic doctrine. Next up is Jen in Omaha, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Jen, you've been to the monastery. Hi, Jack. How are you? This is Jen Brown. I, oh, I know. I know who it is. 
<laughs> and I recent I recently was there and I spent two and a half glorious days at the shrine. It was incredible. I would say that's like kind of like a perfect amount. Um, on Friday the twentieth, I was from six a.m. until six p.m. on the grounds of the shrine. So, uh, Father, I got to go to um, mass in the morning. And uh, the day before, I'd gone to mass in the in the crypt church the, uh, below. But the the morning of Friday the twentieth, I got to go to right. morning mass and then prayers. And then I spent the day. Um, I went down to the Lords, the replica of Lords there, and I met a woman named um, Wilma, and we prayed for her daughter Marie. She was praying for her to come uh, back to the fold of the family and, and mm. back to the church. So we got a chance to pray for her. There's a kind gentleman, a security guard named Pat. He drove me around on the golf cart all over, and I got to have a tour. You were just talking about the John Paul II Eucharistic Center, and when mm. I try to explain that to people, um, Father and Jack, it's I say it's everybody should try to experience this because it's a museum, it's film, it's like a a conference or going to a, a, a conference and it takes about an hour and a half and then you get to linger for a while and, and take part in all the things at the end of the experience that you have. And I wish I had like two or three more hours to do all of that. It was uh, the Beautiful. JP2 Eucharistic Center is so, so incredible. But I was there on the 60th anniversary of the monastery. So I got to be oh, okay. part of, got to listen to Vespers that night, and uh, that right. was an incredible experience. So 60 years when Mother uh, began the monastery in Irondale at EWTN's location, uh, of course, the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament opened to the public here and was built between 95 and 99, and it opened in December of 99 is when the nuns moved here. But when you refer to the 60th, 60th anniversary, you're referring to Mother's founding of the Poor Clare Nuns in Irondale. And yes, that was a wonderful, wonderful celebration. Um, a lot of publicity received about that on EWTN, on, on television air, and as well as radio, and that, that was a wonderful thing. So, well, great, Jen. It's good good to have you call into the show today. Yes, it was it was a wonderful time. I I was teasing uh, family and friends and coworkers when I got back. I said, "Well, I kind of just wanted to walk through those uh, doors and want to become a pet, perpetual adoration nun, but they frown on that without the paperwork." And I was, and I'm too old to yeah. do that too. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I know if you're too old, but yes, you do need the paperwork. <laughs> Well, God bless you, Jen. Thanks so much for the phone call. We appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. JP in Birmingham says he used to be part of a small group Bible study in Birmingham, and on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Revolution, his group, and, and he went up and prayed for reparations for that, and also mm-hmm. uh, said the rosary together at the Lord's Grotto. Oh, beautiful. What a great witness. And yeah, I, don't think you spo- a- I don't think you spoke about the Lord's Grotto when you were rattling off your, your, uh, your attractions up there, but right down there on the Warrior River is a, right. a, an identical replica of the Grotto at Lord's. 
Yeah, I, I think I did mention it. It's right behind the JP2 Center, and there's a beautiful walkway. You can get your 10,000 steps in for the day, as I said. But yes, it's, it's, it is a replica, and it is beautiful. And uh, now and again, they'll have uh, uh, the rosary outside in the early evening, especially during the fall, they do this. And also now and again, for special events, they, they might even have an outdoor mass there. There is a beautiful altar constructed, marble altar constructed inside uh, the Lourdes Grotto. And so... Uh, uh, again, a uh, beautiful statue of Our Lady, beautiful statue of St. Bernadette Subaru, the visionary seer of Our Lady of Lourdes, and also an embedded rock from the actual grotto at Massabiel in Lourdes, France, that is mounted there on a plaque um, just below the statue of, of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception here in Hansville, an actual stone from that uh, uh, original uh, uh, cave of the apparitions. So yes, uh, uh, the John Paul II Center, and then right behind it, the beautiful Lord's Grotto. So I wasn't paying attention to you is what you're telling me. What's that? <laughs> so I wasn't paying attention to you is what you're telling me. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm not going to say that about my boss. <laughs> Next up is Roy. He is in Baltimore, Maryland, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Roy, thanks for the phone call. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, uh, Jack and Father Wade. I, Father Wade, I always enjoy when you are uh, doing Mass on EWTN. I think your homilies are excellent, and thank you for everything you do uh, for us because we want to just learn more and more about our Catholic faith. The reason I'm calling is I always thought that June the 24th was the feast or the birthday of John the Baptist, and it's celebrated on that day, and I was tied into the longest day of the year becoming shorter, he will increase, meaning Jesus, and I, John the Baptist, will decrease. But somehow I saw that the birthday or the feast for John the Baptist is the 23rd this year, and that the celebration for the Sacred Heart of Jesus is on the 24th. It, do I have that correct, Father? Yes, yes. The, the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart is always celebrated on the Friday. So remember that uh, 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 another feast day or solemnity can be bumped uh, to another day because of the great solemnity. So we do celebrate uh, the birth of John the Baptist, what's officially known as the Nativity of John the Baptist, um, on the 24th of June. In fact, it's my goddaughter's birthday that day. That's how I always put the two together, John the Baptist's Nativity and her own Nativity. Um, but this year, because the 24th falls on a Friday, uh, we're celebrating the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, and on the 23rd, we're celebrating uh, the, the Solemnity of John the Baptist, his nativity. So it's, it's just a matter of the Church being able to—she wants to celebrate these great solemnities that fall in the uh, ordinary time following Easter, you know, uh, Trinity Sunday, uh, Corpus Christi Sunday, or Thursday, for those who still hold it on the Thursday. And then uh, after Corpus Christi, we have the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus as well as the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So the Church wants to get those in because they're so prominent and important, and they uh, would rank higher than the Feast of a Saint, although John the Baptist is an extremely important saint, the last of the prophets in the line of demarcation between the Old Testament and New Testament. But to answer your question, that, that's the reason why we do that, so that we can have celebrate both uh, rather than nix one altogether and not celebrate it and only celebrate the one. This way we're able to celebrate both. Does that make sense, Roy? Uh, yeah, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I also just want to add, too, 
Father and Jack, this you have a nice, wonderful new uh, with Father Tregilio and Father Briganti, the Catholic Blitz. That's wonderful because it continues to teach us the fundamentals right. of our faith, and we can never ever lose out on that. So, thank you on that note, and thank you again, Father, for your answer. All right, Roy. Thank you. God bless you. Now, uh, Deborah's watching on YouTube, Father, and our number again is eight three three two eight eight E W T N. Uh, plenty of open phone lines and all kinds of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Tell us about your visit to the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. Deborah, as I said, is watching on YouTube. She says, I am a non-Catholic searching for truth. I struggle greatly understanding why God has prospered so many non-Catholic churches in numbers of people, breadth and width of their missions and world influence. Can you help me understand his reasons? Well, God hasn't prospered it. Man has prospered it because of the divisions of mankind within Christianity. Huh? So we have the umbrella of Christianity, and then you have uh, the Catholic Church, the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, and then you have, by some scholars' reports, most recently that I've seen, some 32,000-plus Protestant sects uh, Protestant faiths, and that's including the, the most autonomous little church house in, let's say, southern Mississippi that's autonomous only to itself, has, has no uh, other church that it's tied to. If you count even those, we're, we're talking some 32,000-plus Protestant sects. So we believe in the four marks of the church, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic, and we see the divisions of Christians within Christianity under the banner of Protestantism, uh, namely beginning with the Reformation of the 1500s. So you're right, uh, but there are a lot, uh, and it does cause confusion. We just saw a mass exodus of the Methodists from the Methodist uh, overseen uh, branch of, of the United Methodists because of some cultural issues regarding gay marriage and, and other issues. Um, and, and so we just saw an exodus of certain Methodist churches from their umbrella organization. So th there we have more now uh, adding to the 32,500 sects. So, you know, we've suffered the fall of, of man through the, of our, through the original sin of our first parents, and so there's bound to be division. But don't confuse the, 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 the work of man with the work of God. We talk about the will of God, and we mean it in two ways. There's the ordaining will of God, where God wills this, and so it takes place. Then secondly, there's the permissive will of God, which means that he doesn't necessarily will the thing, but he permits it to take place. Why does he permit it to take place? Well, simply put, because he lets things function according to their nature. Okay, that's why he permits it. We're free. We're free agents. He's not going to coerce us. So the breaking down of Christianity will naturally cause more and more sects to be uh, uh, created. And so this is through the permissive will of God, but not the ordaining will of God. We know from the Gospel of John, Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. Well, the Father and the Son are pretty closely one. That, that's what the capital C. That's pretty darn closely as one. And that's how he desires us to be. And, of course, we see that in the four marks of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the bride of Christ, which he founded. Okay? So when you ask, Deborah, why would God permit such a thing as so many Protestant churches— 
uh, don't confuse that with the ordaining will of God. God doesn't will that through his ordaining will. He permits it because he lets things function according to their, na- their natures, and as human persons, we're free agents to be disobedient and break away. I would like to recommend, uh, since you're searching for the truth, you're, you're, you want to study more about the nature of the church, one of the 16 documents uh, from Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, Deborah, is called Lumen Gentium. It's the dogmatic constitution on the church. Lumen Gentium is Latin for light of nations. Beautiful title, Lumen Gentium, the light of nations, meaning the church herself as the bride of Christ is the light of of nations. Uh, Vatican documents are named according to the opening words of their opening lines. So uh, Lumen Gentium begins with the words, light of nations is the bride of Christ, which he founded. So that document talks about the nature of the church per se, and it, it makes mention of the divisions of the church okay, including not only Protestantism, but also the, with the non-Christian religions, and how we pray for the non-Christian and for the Protestant faiths to come to the fullness of truth of Jesus Christ, who came into the world, and to come to him through his church, which he founded, and again, which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic. Also, Deborah, remember that at, in, in the Catholic liturgy, every Good Friday, we pray for all of these different uh, divisions of Christianity and the non-Christian religions. We also pray for atheists and agnostics to come to what? To come to the light of nations, the bride of Christ, because he himself, the bridegroom, is per se the light of the world, right? So, so you want to see the imagery for what it is. He's the bridegroom, he's the light of the world, um, and he, she's the church that he founded, right? So th- remember the beautiful, beautiful liturgy. You can find it online if you just simply, on your search engine, ask to see the, the or type in the liturgy for Good Friday of the Catholic Church, and you'll see those beautiful, uh, I believe there's 10 of them total, 10 petitions during the uh, general intercessions, what are known officially as the universal prayer, where we pray for Catholics, we pray for our Protestant brothers and sisters, we pray for those who do not know Christ at all, we pray for those who search for God but yet do not know Him, etc., etc., etc. And uh, it's, there are a series of beautiful 10 prayers that I've actually made uh, during Holy Week as part of my meditation before the Blessed Sacrament, because they're easily found. Um, so we want to pray for that. And the last thing I want to say about this, Deborah, is on the church's universal calendar, February 22nd of every year, we celebrate the universal feast day of the chair of St. Peter. Now, in that liturgy, we're not celebrating a piece of furniture. We're celebrating the office, capital O, the office of Peter and his successors, the vicar of Christ on earth, the popes, right? So we celebrate the chair of Peter, which is what? It's a sign of unity, It's a sign of unity. And so we pray for all of our Protestant brothers and sisters, our non-Christian brothers and sisters, to be uh, uh, unified under the one holy Catholic and apostolic church through the office of he whom Christ himself gave 
jurisdiction over his church, over his bride, and that was to Peter, Matthew 16, 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. So, Deborah, I would like to, to encourage you again to look at Lumen Gentium from Vatican II. It's one of the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council to lead you more deeply into the nature of the very question you're asking about the church and her nature and why there are unfortunately so many different Protestant sects. Thank you so much, Deborah, for uh, watching today on YouTube and sending us the YouTube question. Uh, Michael is in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Wade. Father Wade, what an honor to be with you. Thank Um, you, Michael. On the reparation of the Church, I'm also looking at our uh, disposition with the Jewish people and what St. John Paul II was calling... uh, us to strive for a visible unity of Jew and Gentile in his encyclical. And uh, I was actually involved with an event where I was with two Catholic theologians in Spain where they did uh, identificational repentance for uh, statements made in the, um, the Council of Elvira for statements that were basically anti-Semitic mm-hmm. and then just... Um, with Messianic Jewish believers. So I just wanted to know what your, uh, like, what I understand, like, I'm an arborist, and I I understand even what it feels like to be grafted into a, a tree, so to speak, you know, as a wild branch into the olive tree of Israel. And I just wondered, um, are, you in, are you seeing movement towards, like, us wooing our elder brothers back? Yes, I am, actually, and I've seen a lot of that, especially since, and I think this was an impetus for John Paul II, in the canonization of St. Edith Stein, whose name in religion is a Carmelite cloistered nun, was Teresa Benedict of the Cross. He also named her one of the three co-patronesses of Europe, along with St. Bridget of Sweden and, uh, I believe, Catherine of Siena. Um, so St. Edith Stein, she's now canonized. You know, she, she was born a Jew and uh, loved her Jewish faith dearly to the day that she died. In fact, her parting words from the convent in, in uh, Echt Holland with her sister Rosa, who was an extern sister at the same monastery, uh, Edith herself was a, a, a cloistered uh, nun in the monastery. She said, let us go, Rosa. We must go to our people. And uh, the, the Gestapo had already arrived to take them uh, to the train that would transport them to Auschwitz. So John Paul II wanted to extend the olive branch in a very, very profound way uh, to the Jewish people and to make reparation for the church's past mistakes. You know, I was just talking to a gentleman earlier today where I told him that the normative state of the church in regards to her human element The normative state of the church, the bride of Christ, in regards to her human element, is one of normative chaos. And because of that reality, I'm going to repeat that because it's it's an important point. The normative state of the church, the bride of Christ, in her human element, her membership, is one of chaos. Now, she's indefectibly holy. She cannot err. The church cannot err, for example, in faith or morals. She's indefectibly holy. We, that's one of her four marks, one holy, Catholic and one holy Catholic and apostolic. She herself is indefectibly holy. She cannot err. But in regards to her human element, oh yeah, she can err 
In fact, big time can she err in her human element. And this is where we see some of these unfortunate statements from past councils. Okay, none of them were infallible statements, by the way, uh, but, but it, it showed the relations were at a strain. So we look now to the writings of John Paul II and all he did to advance the great um, um, uh, pathways to greater um, unity with, with our brothers and sisters. One of the quotes that John Paul II loved to quote St. Edith Stein on in her writings was when she said, the sole legitimate heir of Judaism is Catholicism. And we share so much with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Even liturgically, we share so much with them. And that's a beautiful thing, too. So what I like to do uh, when people ask me about our Jewish relations as Catholics, I like to refer them to the document on, by John Paul II uh, that you made reference to, and also the life of St. Edith Stein, who loved her faith of baptism so much, uh, her faith of, of, of birth so much, and ended up, yes, becoming a Catholic, but she never lost sight of her Jewish heritage. And she's quite a story just in regards to her conversion, right? Uh, her conversion process and her conversion path. Um, she was born Jewish. By the age of 15, was agnostic, self-admitted, one night at the dinner table, in fact, admitted this. Uh, some of, her, of those who have researched her life have, would say that for all practical purposes, she was an atheist, not agnostic, but I think she was more agnostic. She started searching for the truth, uh, looking at the different Protestant faiths, and in the library, the home library of Lutheran friends of hers, a husband and wife, the Conrad Marziuses, Mr. and Mrs. Conrad Marzius, in their home, in their home library, read the autobiography of St. Teresa of Avila, the great doctor of the church, in one night, in one night. And Edith admits that the following morning around 7 a.m., she closed the book. She had finished reading the autobiography of Teresa of Avila. She put the book on the table, and she said aloud, even though there was nobody else in the library at 7 a.m., she said, quote, this is the truth I've been searching for my entire life. And she sought entrance into the Catholic faith. But she never ever lost sight of her Jewish heritage, her Jewish roots. And, uh, and that's something that I think is, is honorable and needs to be re we need to be reminded of as Catholics in regards to our uh, relations with our Jewish brothers and sisters. So thank you so much. My Michael, just a quick question for you. Are you familiar with the life of Edith Stein? And if, if so, how much? Uh, yes. I just know of her, like your what you explained of her conversion, and I've actually been to Poland three times, and right. not necessarily privileged to go to her home, but just, there's a book uh, by uh, Darcy O'Brien called The Hidden Pope about St. John Paul's best friend friendship with uh, uh, Jersey Kluger, mm -hmm. and uh, it's, it's pretty profound, it's so providential in the sense of you know, where he came from, Bratavica, you know, with uh, right. a lot of Jewish friends. Right. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for your call today. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as my ink pen says, Jack, St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.